Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. The housing crisis has gotten so bad and so loud and started to finally hit all these headlines that the government is, quote unquote, doing something about it, or at least they're trying to, right? They're coming to the table and they're doing things like uh, pushing through rezoning, creating accelerator funds, removing some taxation, which is a great one, and setting provincial growth targets. So will these initiatives be enough to incentivize builders to actually see some meaningful growth in the housing crisis here or growth in available housing to help solve the crisis? Well, we're going to take a look at that today, share a little bit of our thoughts of what's going on and also share, well, some other costs that are increasing for our builders here in the city. And if you don't know, real quick here, both Ryan and I run the Vancouver Life Real Estate Group in Vancouver, and we help people just like you decide when and where is the best time to buy or sell property. So if it's something that you've been considering or you want to know exactly what's going on in the housing market and how it might affect you, just book a call with us below. Cool. Let's get into this. Right off the top, I want to talk about the Plex plan a bit more because there are a few more updates that have come to light. So real quick here, before applications can be submitted to build a multiplex, the council must, of course, enact these laws. Okay, so the multiplex plan has been approved, but now they have to actually enact it. They have a target actually of mid-October, so it's not too far away that we may actually see uh, the ability for people to take advantage of this new multiplex plan. So in the interim, though, they are offering uh, 30-minute one-on-one consultations with the staff. And so the city is highly recommending people and builders, if you're considering making this move and, and enacting and building off of the multiplex plan, book that call now, have that talk with them. And they're going to start to, uh, of course, unveil details on how this is going to uh, actually look <laughs> once it is all hammered out here. And that'll be on the Shape Your City website in the near future. So keep your eye on that if the multiplex plan is something you're going to take advantage of. Now, it's a big question here, too, of how many people are actually going to start to build once this thing has been initiated. And if you didn't know, the city of Victoria actually pushed through something very similar to the multiplex plan about six months ago. And so how is that looking? How many people have taken advantage of this? Well, get this. They have seen, they have received a total of three applications in six months in Victoria. So Obviously, a bit of a fail over there. Uh, I have heard that they are likely going to be making some modifications to their Plex plan because clearly it's not enough of a change for people to want to take advantage of it. Now, on the other side of things, we had um, we had kind of caught wind here that since the approval of the Plex plan in Vancouver, there's one architect that we know uh, who was actually a part of the planning process directly with the city. And since the approval... They have been receiving one request per day to basically put forward a, a multiplex building on their lot. So a vastly different initial response that we're seeing in Vancouver compared to Victoria. So we'll see how this all pans out as time goes. But you can expect around mid-October to have the Plex plan fully ironed out and in place and ready for builders to start building. I mean, that's great news that they're actually moving at that kind of pace. It just goes to show you that they can do it. 
Um, with that being said, too, though, there's uh, some other news that we want to touch on here, uh, and it's a bit loose in in some ways, but uh, the BC government uh, orders 60,000 new homes built in 10 municipalities in the next five years. So the government has ordered 10 of the largest municipalities in the province to build more than 60,000 uh, units of housing over the next five years. Uh, or risk have the province forced through higher density anyways. Those are uh, those that meet the target, sorry, will receive funding for amenities such as parks, bike lanes, rec centers. Um, and to give you guys some perspective, Vancouver has a lot of those 60,000 homes. Uh, in fact, 28,900 of them belong to Vancouver. Uh, but hold on a second. So who are they ordering to build though? Because last I checked, this is a partnership between private and public industry. So I'm not quite sure how they order the builders to build. But anyways, uh, no one's going to build if they're going to lose money. I mean, right now we know that that's most likely the case, which is why building permits are at 20 year lows. So I think uh, naturally, a big part of the success of this initiative is going to be incentives, right? What are you going to do to bring people to the table? Um, we know that the Housing Accelerator Fund has been created. Um, but when you look at the amount of housing that's actually required, the money provided in the Housing Accelerator Fund is just a drop in the bucket. And check out some of these quotes. So, the District of North Vancouver, Mayor Mike Little, is critical of the Federal Housing Accelerator Fund after the municipality discovered it would be eligible for $9 million to subsidize 3,000 units of housing. That amounts to $3,000 a unit. That doesn't change anything. It's actually quite sad. Uh, meanwhile, new development fees have just been announced, adding in around $11,000 of cost per unit. So tell me how that accelerator fund is actually working. Metro Vancouver collects fees every time a development is done, right? These are called development cost charges, DCCs, uh, and that's based for residential and non-residential developments. And here's another quote. The regional district has been moving ahead on the proposal to increase DCCs for several months due to a desire by local politicians to reduce the rate of property tax, uh, which is projected to increase uh, for some time over the next uh, few years. The overall costs, once they're fully implemented uh, in 2027 as planned, would be significant. Here you go. So Coriolis Consulting an estimate, estimated that the increased fees would cost developers an additional $11,360 to $14,650 for every new apartment unit and $18,000 to $24,000 for every single family lot. So when you look at the actual uh, cities and what they need to build, you know, based on those 28,000 homes, there's a list of how many studios, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, four bedrooms, half duplexes, houses, and so on. And I just kind of wanted to put this question out there. One of the biggest costs um, in housing, as we know, are things like property transfer tax, right? So if I am a 
if I'm a, a young guy and I'm, I'm looking to get into the property market and I buy my first studio and then I decide to buy uh, a two bedroom and then I decide to buy a three bedroom or a four bedroom and finally I get to a house. I've had to jump property four different times. I've had to pay property transfer tax, which is a sunk cost. I never get it back. And I've had to do that four times and that's a big amount of tax. So I'm wondering here if, you know, First of all, is the 4 million homes that we need by 2030 even a reasonable expectation to consider? And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But overall, what if we actually changed the building type and stopped making so many one bedrooms and, and studios and made more two and three bedroom units so that people didn't have to move as much and wouldn't sink so much of their hard-earned equity into taxation? It's just food for thought. Generally, I would love to see more two and three bedroom condos, much more three bedroom condos for that matter, something that feeds families, right? So that they don't have to consistently move. So anyhow, some food for thought there. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many more studios we really need in this city. I don't think that really helps the long-term problem that we've got. Interesting take. And yeah, they are trying, it seems. But again, these things are not simple. They're not easy. And throwing out sort of some top level numbers and, and quotas, again, they need to be thought out. So we'll see how it pans out here. And then further to this, we've recently heard about the $20 billion subsidy here for housing. And so what's happened is the Minister of Finance has recently announced that the limit for Canadian mortgage bonds is being increased from $40 billion to $60 billion. And what that allows for, it unlocks low-cost financing for multi-unit rental construction. They figure here that the $20 billion per year uh, has a goal of about 30,000 additional units that will help come to or bring to market here. So let's break down those numbers and kind of get an understanding of what that totally means. So while they're offering low-cost financing, it wasn't clear if that's if they're doing all the financing or, or it's augmenting financing, but let's let's pretend that they're financing it completely. So if you look at the average home price in Canada right now, it's sitting at about $650,000. If you take their $20 billion and you divide it by $30,000, that equals about $666,000. So understandably, they're likely targeting building in the more expensive areas, your Toronto's, your Vancouver's, and so forth. If they were to continue this over seven years, so you've got your, your $20 billion a year for seven years, and that's equating to 30,000 new apartments per year for seven years. On the other end of that, you're going to have about 210,000 units. Great. Sounds like it, it's a, a number that helps. And if that's on top of what's already there, brilliant. But then, of course, let's quickly go back to the CMHC report that just mentioned a couple of weeks ago that in that same seven, eight year time frame, we're currently on track to be about 4 million homes short of what is needed for our targeted population growth. So if you take that 210,000 units that this 20 billion a year is going to provide, well, that totals a whopping 5% of the total 4 million homes that are needed. So while again, they're, they're doing things, they're pushing forward initiatives, that's great, but it, it always sort of comes across as almost a, a drop in the bucket or too little too late, if you will, because 5% is not where we need to be. We need to be coming up with initiatives that are going to reach or exceed 100% of the shortfall. But ultimately, again, the path has changed or, or the ship route has changed, if you will, and we are starting to see builder incentives kind of pile up or add up 
right? We've got access to things like this low construction, low interest rate construction loans. GST has been removed on the uh, construction costs for purpose-built rental units. We've got now no costs to rezone properties in Vancouver, thanks to the multiplex plan, if that's the rezoning you're going for. And then you've got this accelerator program on top of that. So there's unquestionably, I think, going to be a cohort, there's a section of builders who, if you take advantage of all these initiatives out there, it is going to help your your well your margins actually be feasible enough and attractive enough that you will want to bring product to market so we'll see how this goes of course but again um we're seeing the housing crisis be so loud that the government's had to basically have their hands forced if you will and start to put attention on it and now money and initiatives on it and uh you know let's 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 see how this pans out yeah i'm not convinced (laughs) i know i'm I know I say that a lot, but um, the reason I'm 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 not convinced. It's so often um, I don't know if it's a phenomenon in, in in today's time, but what happened to any kind of long term planning? Right, everything that we're seeing right now appears to be a result of a knee jerk reaction to the last thirty years of poor planning when it comes to housing. And so, you know, we're looking at an accelerator program, great, $4 billion. And, you know, we've got um, no cost to rezoning thanks to multiplexes. And, our, you know, GST is going to get removed on rental construction costs. Is it enough? I mean, what about mom and pop who want to put a rental unit uh, in their basement? Do they get the same GST removed? You know, I mean, are we really going far enough when we say this is a crisis? And here's, you know, some things to consider, right? So CMHC's plan that came out and said, hey, listen, we need 4 million homes in six years to restore affordability. Is is that even a feasible timeline to build 4 million homes? What would those homes look like? Like, are we going to cut corners so that we can actually put a volume of homes on the ground? Do we want to do that? Because we'll incur a whole ton of cost when these things don't perform over their lifespan, right? Who's going to build them? Do we have enough people to build these things? So is it really a reasonable thing to say, hey, we need 4 million homes in six years? I don't think so. I think this is another 20-year plan to restore affordability. It's going to be way longer. And I don't know if any politician really has what it takes to bring this up and talk about it. We haven't seen an initiative large enough here that that can really change the game, that's really going to move the marketplace. We need a short-term plan to deal with the crisis that we've got, and we need a long-term plan that fits with that as well. If we don't, it'll be this constant catch-up, constant knee-jerk reaction uh, until another different crisis that distracts us for a little bit comes along. So, you know, some ideas here. We've got rent controls in place, and I know this is a hot topic, but I think we've you know, proven in the last eight years that rent control doesn't work. We're at all-time high rents right now. Rents have never been higher. Rent control doesn't control rents. It controls the supply of rental units that comes to market. So if you control rent, you fix your supply of rental units because what developer is going to take on building rental units that is capped at two or three or four percent per year and won't perform 
next to the rate of inflation or what the market would bear. We need to allow rental units to be rented at whatever market rates would allow so that we can build the supply. Once we have the supply, the supply will control the price, but there's going to be some pain to get there. Things like permitting and the rezoning process, we kind of touched on that. We're starting to see some changes there, but still nothing big enough, uh, nothing sweeping enough, uh, in my opinion, to really help the crisis. Uh, Dan, I think we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, but there's simply too much tax in housing. There's, there's, if we really want to create affordable housing, roughly 25, 30% of the cost of a new home is all in housing, if not in some areas, potentially higher, right? Another thing that we really need to look at is, is immigration. It needs to be in line with what we can offer in terms of supporting the amount of immigration that comes in. Here's the reason why. Otherwise, we risk losing our doctors. We'll risk losing our teachers, our public servants, because there's too much demand on what they can provide too fast. And immigration only works if people stay here once they come. If they can't afford to live here when they come, they'll just leave. And we, you know, the whole point of immigration will go down the toilet. So, you know, we've kind of talked about better incentives. We certainly need better incentives to continue housing supply. And, you know, I think if you're going to make an effort to provide housing stock, whether you're a developer builder or you're a homeowner and you're putting a rental suite in, you should get a tax break and an incentive to do so relative to the size of your contribution, right? Just as an idea. This is going to be a bit of a contentious one, but we also need to look at removing things like a foreign buyer's tax. Maybe replace it with a cap in terms of how much money you can invest. We need foreign investment to build the housing stock that Canadians need to live in. I mean, what's more important? People having affordable housing or, you know, are we going to take the moral high ground that a few developers are walking away with too much money? If you look at some of the major economies around the world, and I mean the economies that are up and coming, places like Poland, for example, where they are looking at massive amounts of foreign investment that is increasing their economy um, and increasing their standard of living. We need to look at different models. Ours is not working the way it should. And I think also we need to look at how technology could really help us. I know we touched on a podcast this year where, you know, Kelowna, for example, is introducing AI into the permitting process. Any kind of repetitive task, any kind of task that requires a process that can be driven through technology should be driven through technology to release human capital so that they can go to the higher levels of planning and strategy. That's where we'll get the best use out of people. Effectively, we need a plan that is bipartisan, that's not conservative, that's not liberal, that's not NDP, that's none of that. It, it's got to suit and solve the problems that Canadians are facing today. And we just, I feel, don't have that. Maybe that's a long diatribe, but uh, I think it needs to be said. Well, there you go. Sean Fraser, someone is after your job here. Ryan Dash has just officially <laughs> announced his campaign and uh, the platform uh, he's running on. But... Uh, well, the reality is too, those are all great comments and it's true. It really does help illustrate how complex the matter is and how many different elements pull on our housing in, in multiple directions. And also kind of shows how much certain areas have just been let to to run free and run 
way too far out in one direction and it's hard to pull those back you know like you said essentially taxation is one of them and like we touched on our last week's podcast the more government interjects themselves the more expensive things get that's just been the reality and it's a it's a global phenomenon here And, and like we said how much of the government simply stepping away would solve a lot of this yeah, it's again another path that uh, could be explored, but you get the idea. Yeah, we're it's it, we live in a free market capitalist society, and yet it's really not. <laughs> if we really allowed businesses to operate and fail when they make poor decisions, the best would survive. The the you know, and and I know that's probably not a great way to think about you know making a living and things like that but at some point if we if we don't face the consequences for the decisions that we make along the way we will bear even worse consequences further down the road so we need to take grasp of these things and stop lying to ourselves with silly timelines and 40 billion dollars here i mean my goodness dan you $650,000 the average cost of a house across canada you times that by 4 million you're well above 2 trillion dollars so these 40 dollar drops in the bucket are nothing right what are we going to do to really get things moving if we really want to fix this problem yeah, all very, very fair. It's a complex one. And, you know, like we kind of touched on in this episode, there are some tweaks happening or, or, or excuse me, have already happened within this month that could have some impact here. But as we know, housing moves slow. So the reality is we won't even see those impacts for upwards of two years on the early side. Regardless, real quick here, as we are wrapping up the end of September, we want to share, give you guys sort of the first insight into what's going to happen here when the stats, when the data comes out about the middle of next week, because as always, it's interesting and there are a few surprises here. So just so you know, sales, totally, they're slow, right? If you're out there as an agent or you're out there buying, selling, you know, things are, they feel slow. And that's represented in the numbers that are going to wrap up around 1,950 units, which is, interestingly, it's down about 18% from last month. Which, you know, when you go from August into September, September is typically a fall market and we see sales jump, but they have not. And obviously, we know this is largely driven by our high interest rate environment. Do note, though, sales are up year over year. Last year was even slower in September. So we're up about 14%. Uh, Luckily, we did see a, a pretty big jump in our new listings. That's probably something that if you're on like a Realtors Collaboration Center and you're getting new listings sent to you every day, week, whatever have you. You're probably like, oh, wow, there's actually some more inventory this month. And it's felt like in some time, well, your feeling is absolutely warranted. We saw almost 5,000 new listings, which is like a 25% increase month over month. And that is resulting in higher inventory. We have inventory at about 11,500 is probably where it'll wash out after the the few listings that expire at the end of the month. So like a 15% increase uh, month over month here. And it's, you know, we're going to have the highest inventory we've seen in about a year. So it's it's something. It's still below, I think, our, our ten year averages here, but it is trending upwards. So if if you happen to be in the market, you're likely going to start to see that you have more options. And here's the shocker: both average and medium prices went up this month. They went up. I I, I did not predict this whatsoever. We saw the average price will end up up about fourteen thousand, and median prices are up fifty thousand dollars this month. Now, median did take a big dive last month, so it's not like it's a crazy uh, above where it was two months ago kind of thing. We're lower than we were two months ago, but it bounced up off of a lower average. And 
Because of the low sales, but the high inventory now, we're going to see a pretty steep drop in our sales to active listings ratio, meaning we're going to sit around 16%, pushing the overall market into a balanced market, which is the first time we have seen that dating back to January. So lots of shifts in the marketplace, lots of changes here. We'll obviously give you a deep dive on this once the official data is out next week. But for now, thanks as always for tuning in and uh, have a great week. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.